the Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business, a podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Cliff Taylor, sitting in for Kieran Hancock. On this week's episode, we'll hear from Managing Director at KC Peaches, Katie Cantwell. With four locations in Dublin city centre, Katie is well-placed to highlight the cost pressures cafe and restaurant owners are contending with. But before that, anyone looking to buy or sell property this year would dearly love a crystal ball to show what the housing market has in store for 2024. And while we don't have a crystal ball, we are joined by Marion Finnegan, Managing Director of Residential and Advisory at Sherry Fitzgerald. Your annual review published recently of the housing market said that you estimate prices increased by 3.4% uh, last year, still in positive territory despite uh, rising interest rates. Maybe you could take us through the highlights of that review to start. Okay, well, I suppose looking back over the course of, of last year, we saw quite resilient demand throughout the market. It's probably the most startling fact was the uh, very low levels of stock that was available. Mm. So when we compare new instructions coming on, for example, the second hand market last year versus the year before, they were down about 18%. Now, 2022 hadn't been a particularly strong year for stock. So that was quite a startling low level of supply. And I think that factor is probably what has underpinned the performance of prices because in any other circumstances, if you had seen the level of interest rate increases which the Irish market has endured over the last uh, year and a bit, you would expect some uh, pressure on prices. However, prices have remained quite solid. We saw average values growing by, as you said, by just over 3% uh, in 2023. That compared to about 5.7% in 2022. So quite a slowdown on the previous year, but still positive growth. And compared to just under 10% in 2021 now, in 2021, we're still seeing that post-COVID boost in terms of both activity and in terms of price performance. Um, Another factor which began really in 2022 and led into last year is a divergence in terms of price performance by location. Mm. Now, typically, if you look back over the last 20, 25 years of the housing market, Dublin normally led the market. So when Dublin prices were rising rapidly, the rest of the country followed and vice versa in terms of a slowdown. Um, however, at the moment, what we're seeing is that rural Ireland, in particular, um, actually quite rural Ireland, is experiencing much higher levels of price inflation rather than the cities. And the only real explanation that I can see for that is that while we've been building nothing like enough properties um, in terms of, of meeting market demand, we have been building more properties in the urban areas than in the rural areas. And as a result of that really, really tight supply in the rural areas is pushing prices that bit higher than in the cities. What would be kind of the split rural-urban in terms of price rises last year? How much ahead was rural Ireland? Okay, well, I suppose if you just look uh, uh, basically at the Dublin market last year, it mm. grew by about 2.7%, whereas parts of rural Ireland would have grown by 7 or 8%. Okay. So quite a significant difference between uh, between what's happening in the cities sure. and what's happening in terms of the rural areas. I mean, there's obviously an affordability gap as well, which is br- very prevalent in the urban city, yeah. uh, locations. So that could be a factor fueling that price divergence as well. Sure, sure. Is it fair to say that there are parts of the market, the higher end, where, where prices have eased and come off a bit? Or is that is that correct? 
I don't think, uh, I mean, first of all, the higher end of the market is a very small segment of the market cliff. So it's very hard to to get a fairly detailed analysis of it. However, sure. from our experience, and we, we have a good um, market share there, we're selling about 40% of the properties over 2 million. We've seen prices holding. Now, what I would say is that two years ago, there would have been four or five bidders chasing all properties, particularly at the upper end. That isn't as evident. So demand is more contained, but the prices, asking prices are being achieved across the, the, the market in the main. Okay, interesting. We'll come back to the second-hand market in a minute. There has been a, a bit of an uptick in new house completions uh, mm-hmm. this year. Maybe you could talk about that and where you see that versus what's needed with the growing population. Yeah, I think when we get to the figures for the end of last year, there'll probably be somewhere between 30 and 31,000 units actually completed last year, which is mm. good. I mean, we can't um, we can't deny the fact that we are beginning to see an uplift in supply. But I suppose if we were here three or four years ago, what we'd hoped for was a really rapid increase in supply, that mm. sort of V-shaped recovery. That hasn't happened. Demand at the moment, our last analysis would suggest that we need to be building somewhere around fifty-two or 53,000 houses a year. So while 31 is a significant improvement to where we were, we're still well off what we need. Um, and what's probably important to do is to delve into what those units are. So mm. 31,000 units are not all being sold in the private market or anything like that. Yeah. About a third of them reach the private market every year. So where you're seeing very, very strong levels of demand, particularly for first-time buyers, the quantity of properties actually being delivered into that market is somewhere around ten or 11,000 at the moment, okay. which is quite low. Now, obviously, there are lots of other areas of need as well, and a lot of those are being supported through construction, but the private sector is really only receiving about a third of that stock. And the rest of them are going where, Marion? The rest of the new houses? There's a variety. I mean, some of them are self-bills. Okay. Some of them are uh, acquired for um, a very small percentage proportion now are the private rental sector. That would be a very tiny percentage in the last 12 months. A lot of them are acquired by approved housing bodies or for social housing. So um, there's obviously a need in all of these cohorts. However, the overall level is just not enough to meet the need in any one sector. And why do you think we've been, Ireland has been slow in terms of ramping up the necessary housing stock? The government's throwing a lot of money at this and there's a lot of incentives out there for buyers, which in turn was designed to bring new supply on board. Why are we still lagging behind if the if the demand is the underlying demand is there? I think I suppose it, it is fair to say that um, while we often criticise the government, it's fair to say that they have literally thrown a huge number of incentives at the marketplace. Be it uh, Creek Quinnah Project Thussig, there's a variety of measures put in place in order to support construction activity. Mm. But I suppose if we really need to understand the the depth of the challenge that we had. Um, to face in coming out of of, um, the crash initially in in ramping up supply and then being hit by COVID. So one of the biggest challenges initially were around the financial funding of the market and indeed the planning system. And while we've had some improvements in terms of the financial funding, the planning system is only beginning to start to to loosen and and to see more stock coming through. Even this time last year, several of our clients would have said that large quantities of schemes were tied up in the planning process. Now, Mm. that has improved and hopefully will continue to improve. But we do have, while while it's fair to say that there is a global challenge around the housing market in the post-COVID era, Mm. the Irish crisis is much deeper and much harder to to resolve than that of other countries. And as a result, I think it's going to take several more years before we see anything like the quantity of houses being built that we need. Do you think it's going to pick up this year, Marion, compared to last year? Are we are we heading in the right direction? 
Yes, but very, very slowly. I mean, it looks like we might build somewhere in the order of 33 or 34,000 houses this year, which will be, you know, a 2 or 3% increase on last year, which mm. is positive, but not necessarily the types of leaps forward that you'd love to see at this stage. And what could the government do to accelerate it? Or this government, the next government, this is going to be a long-term problem, but... There's no quick fixes, I suppose, it's fair to say. No, no. If there was, I think they would have been implemented by yeah. now. Obviously, the measures that are in place are very positive. Um, however, I think we need to look at at, um, at really, I suppose, a couple of aspects. The planning structure mm. still requires significant more investment, both in terms of manpower, of people actually processing uh, the, the um, applications, but also just in terms of general attention. And I think also if you look at it, we put a huge emphasis on encouraging the development of units for first-time buyers, which is laudable. We do have a much bigger housing market that requires attention. And as our population is ageing, there's a growing need for accommodation to suit that ageing population. And that hasn't been addressed. I think if I was standing looking at at, at possible solutions here, I think we do need to broaden our scope in terms of those incentives in order to ensure that we're building all of the right types of accommodation. And I suppose the other aspect of the market, which sometimes gets ignored, is the whole rental sector, where the government brought in um, some positive legislation several years ago, now actually 10 years ago last year, uh, to encourage um, the PRS sector to evolve in Ireland. Really, we hadn't seen anything of that nature prior to 2013. And we have seen some very positive construction activity over the past decade from um, institutional investors investing in the rental sector. But that has slowed significantly as a result of the interest rate Mm. cycle. Now, that may change this year, but we really do need to look more closely at the rental sector because if there's one element of the market that isn't actually seeing any improvement, it's actually that sector. We're probably seeing the rental uh, crisis deepening with every passing month and every passing year. And I think more can be done to encourage development of rental accommodation, be it through the PRS sector itself um, obviously through cost rental, but also encouraging private investors to invest in new homes. I think that would help accelerate the delivery of accommodation where there are more than one source of demand there. Okay. I just what interested in something you said there about uh, the focus of new builds and first-time buyers. Mm. Maybe you could just expand on that a bit. What do we need to be looking at homes, for example, for people in later stages of life who are trading down or what were you referring to there and what what might be done? I think um, the accommodation for people who may be trading down is critical. I mean, I think it's about 15 years ago since uh, we began talking about the need to... um, to uh, encourage more activity or more movement within the secondhand yeah. sector. And you'll find if you go into lots of suburban uh, areas of Dublin, a Cork, Limerick and Galway, that there are many, many homes where there is one or perhaps two people living in large homes that no longer meet their needs. Yeah. But a lot of people um, of our parents' generation would like to remain in the area where they've lived and raised their family, but perhaps in smaller accommodation that's more suitable to mm. their uh, status in life. That type of accommodation has not even begun to be delivered in the Irish marketplace. It's yeah. commonplace in every other um, housing sector, but hasn't really been dealt with at all in Ireland. And what we're seeing now is that that lack of of 
construction of, of various types of accommodation means that the secondhand market has become particularly tight. So yeah. I said at the beginning of this year that we saw the stock of secondhand accommodation down about 18% in terms of new instructions last year versus the year before. And for a variety of reasons, people are stuck in the accommodation that they are living in. They can't see an option to move on. They may decide, mm-hmm. I'd like to buy a nice three-bed or two-bed apartment close to the area that I've lived in and sell my five-bed house. But if nothing is available, they will remain in that accommodation. It just prevents that natural cycle of um, of sales throughout the entire market. And there is a myriad of other uh, types of accommodation that we need, be it student accommodation, be it rental accommodation for people starting out in life. There is, we do need to broaden our scope. I mean, I've been looking at the housing market for well over 20 years now. And every time we talk about the need to develop accommodation, we focus in on first-time buyers. Yeah. As if first-time buyers were the only group of people that needed accommodation. Yeah, yeah. In fact, first-time buyers probably, uh, not probably, definitely buy more second-hand homes, multiple more second-hand homes every year than they buy new homes simply yeah. because that stock um, is available to them. Yeah, I mean, just in that point about the second-hand market and, and, and supply falling uh, so sharply, and it also came out in the, the latest report from DAF that was out mm-hmm. this week. Is that lack of somewhere to move the main reason or are there other reasons relating to higher interest rates and prices people are able to afford to pay? for example, um, that are entering the mix as well. I, I, I know also that state incentives like the Help Device Scheme are only available on new houses, which possibly makes it difficult for first-time buyers as well in, in parts of the second-hand market. Are, are there other factors that that are cutting supply as you see it in, in, in the second-hand market? I think all, all of what you mentioned, obviously, interest rate increases have an impact on terms of people's ability to trade in any marketplace. Yeah. I think the... Um, the investment market in the first quarter where we had where investors were not allowed to sell accommodation there was a yeah. um a prevention uh, for about the first three months of the year that that obviously had an impact in some locations where investors are typically about 35 percent of the stock at any one okay. time so that had an impact and then also when you look through it people uh, looked around found that stock was tight in the area they were looking and then were unwilling to put their own house on the market until they found somewhere that they wanted to buy so that again oh, yeah. had uh, had its own impact so there are so many factors affecting the marketplace, but really the source of the challenge to begin with is the new home sector. Until we start building, you know, significantly more, double the units really that we're building now, all of the market will remain constrained in terms of supply. Okay. And the rental market as well, I presume. Absolutely. I mean, at the moment, there are a couple of thousand units available to rent at any one time. That should be 20,000 rather than two or 3,000. Yeah. And that, that again, is, is, is particularly challenging. And while... Um, you know, uh, looking at measures to address the market are always challenging and politically sensitive. It is the one area of the market that if we don't get right, is really going to impact our competitiveness. Because um, if we are an open economy that are heavily reliant on FDI investment, there's only so uh, long that FDI investment will continue to remain a strong component of our economy if there isn't accommodation for people, for their employees, mm. when they when they set up um uh, businesses in Ireland. So it is critical that we get the rental sector uh, moving in the right direction in 2024 because nothing really has been done over the last three or four years to address that. Okay, just looking finally at the outlook for for this year, Marion, obviously looking at some international markets, uh, Germany, for example, we've seen the impact of high interest rates le- leading to price falls there. Is there any possibility that the slowdown in price growth will turn into a price declines in the Irish market this year? Or do you think we're 
likely to look at more of the same low level low level increases where where do you think the balance is going to be this year i think based on what we're seeing in terms of new construction activity and the forecasts of around 32 33000 being delivered this year that unfortunately will mean that the stock will remain particularly low both mm. for new and second hand accommodation so that will underpin price of performance in the next 12 months. I would say we're probably looking at another year of very low price inflation, but it should remain positive rather than go into the negative territory. And that really is just because the stock is so tight at the moment. Now, obviously, where we go with interest rates is the next big question. Mm. And there's probably diverging trends there where we're hearing that there's no discussion of reductions in interest rates occurring at a European level, and yet the markets are suggesting otherwise. So I suppose where we go with the interest rate cycle will impact um, people's affordability and the market performance as we get towards the end of this year and into next year. Do you see any kind of sign of restlessness in the second-hand market? People saying, you know, they've held off putting their house in the market, they're going to go this year with interest rates perhaps coming down, or... Does it still look like a market that's that's stuck, if you like, stuck in a moment? Yeah, well, it's very early yet. We're just sure. the, the market is just opening up. Uh, we'll certainly know more as we get towards the end of the first quarter. But at the moment, we're probably seeing people quite frustrated not being able to buy anything. Sure. So that has impacted the stock coming through. Um, so I would expect to see probably a similar year of challenging stock levels in the second-hand market. And it really will be until we, before we get to the end of the year, before we'll see any significant change, I think, in terms of both the stock of new homes and second-hand and where the interest rate cycle is that will impact where prices go by the end of the year. Okay, great. More of the same for the, for the next few months, perhaps, then. And we'll uh, wait to see what comes from Frankfurt and interest rates as the year goes on. Absolutely. Marion Finnegan, thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back after this short break to hear why so many cafes and restaurants are under significant financial pressure as they start 2024. How can harnessing the power of AI help drive your business? At EY, we combine leading business expertise with cutting-edge technology and capabilities. Working directly with you to plan your strategy, we will accelerate your AI-enabled transformation. To learn more, visit ey.ai forward slash ie. Welcome back. Now I'm joined on the podcast by Katie Cantwell, Managing Director at KC Peaches Ireland, to discuss the cost pressures cafes and restaurants are feeling at this moment. Tell us a bit, first of all, about your company, KC Peaches. Great. So we operate four locations in Dublin City Centre and a catering business as well. Okay. Some of our restaurants are primarily daytime hours um, and the catering we do is primarily daytime. And our proof restaurant concept is nighttime focused. So we've got, we're kind of seeing everything, if that makes sense. So sure. we, we get to see the the daytime as we have some locations opening as early as 7.30. Our catering office actually opens, people are in our catering office from doing production from about uh, 3.30 a.m. And then we would go up until about 10 p.m. in terms of our proof location. So we have quite, we really run the better part of a full day um, in terms of of the business. So uh, I think in terms of getting perspective on on how how restaurants are impacted by by um, by everything going on, I think we have a fairly good idea because we're in we have our hands in so many uh, different pies, I guess, if you will, so to speak. Indeed, yes. <laughs> Not to use a pun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your day, your day is even longer than the newspaper day, so that is certainly a long, a widespread. And what are you seeing in the industry at the moment? Maybe, maybe first of all, in terms of uh, of demand, 
obviously the issue for anyone in the city centre has been, you know, first of all, COVID and then remote working, people starting to return to the city centre. Now, how, how are you seeing that balance out uh, in your business and, and what are you hearing from others in the sector? Yes. So I think for us, what has really uh, been difficult is that all of our locations, so our locations and our catering company, mm. um, have all been really impacted by the fact that we are city center based. So yeah. um, we don't have any locations in the suburbs. Uh, all three KC Peaches locations are smack in the middle of downtown and um, proof is on Thomas Street, which I would also con- consider fairly central. Sure. Um, and has had its own, I mean, it's an amazing area. Uh, we absolutely love Thomas Street, but it has had its own challenges, especially since COVID. So we've really seen the impact of the city center. I do know um, what is happening to us is is very different in suburban locations. And I think, yeah. you know, hearing from different suppliers around town that would obviously deal with both city center and uh, suburban locations, they are finding that the same brands who have... Uh, locations in both are seeing very, very different numbers. And that that's that's really clear just by the footfall. I think uh, this last, we very lucky Dublin Town sends us uh, figures versus 2019 every week. And uh, the last week, for example, was 27% lower in terms of footfall than 2019. So that's insane um, for the city center. So, and that would obviously be different. You know, sometimes we'd even see the Grafton Street numbers being down 50%, which would drastically impact uh, two of our locations that are very close to Grafton Street. So, um, you know, you can imagine that that you know, remote working and just what's happening in the city center has made a huge impact on yeah. people's mindset and and any business that operates there. So that's that's just a fact of life at the moment. Yeah, that's a huge drop. Are you optimistic at all that, that might improve this year. People seem to be returning a bit more to the office. Finally, if not five days a week, then maybe, then maybe two or three at least. Um, tourist numbers up a bit. Tourist numbers up a bit. Yeah, I think. I think in terms of the office work, I do think. Again, I'm not a social scientist. I don't have sure. exact information on people working from home, not working from home. I think working from home is great if if it's one or two days a week. I think it gives people a lot of flexibility. It gives them focused time so that their work is actually benefiting too. Um, but I think, and again, I have people who are working five days a week, please do not, please do not skewer me for saying this sure, um, because maybe you're loving it. But I do know having seen, um, you know, having talked to, to a number of people that it is hard to collaborate when you're home and maybe you're not taking things as seriously and as focused as you would be if you were in an office environment. So I don't think that applies to everybody, but I think across the board, that is uh, what we're hearing from our catering clients. We are hearing that a lot of them do want to bring people back more, Mm -hmm. if not full-time, then definitely kind of three to four days a week. So I'm really hoping that we'll see that that our weekday traffic uh, resumes somewhat. And um, I will say, I, I think in terms of optimism, internally, we have an amazing team overall. I mean, I think across the board, we're really lucky. I think we're our team has never been better. And I think we're, um, in terms of our actual product and the quality of what we're producing, uh, the suppliers that we're using, it's just been phenomenal. We're, we're really, really lucky. So I think, I think in terms of the bones 
uh, there's so much positive there. I think in terms of what we're just seeing um, in the in the city center and that uh, it does need to improve. And I think we've seen it. I mean, last, you know, what happened in November was was really tragic and, and awful for the city. And I think if we want tourists to return and we want it to be a really vibrant city center, we need to change. There yeah. has to be change. And I think that that bringing people back into the city, whether it's figuring out ways to lodge more people in mm. the cities, so trying to get people trying to figure out how to build more accommodation in the cities, perhaps using mixed use um, buildings where you've got, you know, retail offices and uh, residents um, like they do in many parts of the world in big cities could be really interesting for us because then people are actually resident and feel like it's their home and they're going to treat it in a different way. Um, I also believe that young people, you know, looking at you know, a lot of both our clientele and our um, staff, you're seeing people who are in their, their 20s and early 30s, and they don't want to live in the suburbs. Most of these people yeah. really want to live in the city center and enjoy that dynamic lifestyle. And I think we are not doing the city or these individuals any favors by asking them to, you know, allowing them the only, the only thing that they can actually afford is miles and miles yeah. outside of, of the city. So um, I'd really love to see some change in that way. Really love to see that we're trying to make the city itself really vibrant from both a working and residency perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think there's a lot of people would agree with you on that one, Katie. Can I just look at the idea now of costs? So obviously, um, Restaurants have been hit by the cost of living crisis as well as everyone else. Uh, and also now by the increase in the minimum wage, VAT rate has gone back mm. to 13.5%. That's that's a significant burden all coming at the same time, I suppose. Absolutely. I think I think for us, what we would really love to see, um, and I know, I'm, I believe I'm speaking from uh, the Restaurants Association's perspective as well, is yeah. my main point would be, please look at the VAT rate. Um, you know, if we could look at the VAT rate and see that reduced again to 9%, I think it benefits everybody. It benefits the consumer who's seen a huge amount of inflation in the last two years, and it benefits restaurants greatly because we don't want to have our prices where they are. We would love to see them back to where they were at 9%. Sure. Um, I think, you know, the minimum wage, sick pay, et cetera, while they're difficult um, to take on board, they are they're great. You know, let's be honest. I mean, people people in Dublin, it's it's an expensive city. People need need that additional money um, as well. I think if we like going back to my last point, I think if we could make um, it much more of a of a city where people can live and work, that would be enormous for people. So, looking at ways to not just give people more money because if there's more money but the rents stay the same, they're really kind of still in the same boat. So sure. for me, it's really let's give them more money. That's fantastic, and I think it's brilliant for people, um, and I'm delighted to see it for some of our team who have been impacted. But in addition to that, we need to give them places to live so that they sure, can yeah. actually be in the city. And I think that that's what you look at cities like um, you look at cities like Paris, and yeah. why is Paris still so vibrant? Because people live there. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great city. You go into the city center, and it's totally dynamic and wonderful. Sure. And it's because people live there um, and work there. And I think that that's really what needs to happen now with Dublin. We need to bring people back in, make it more of a European capital, which it can be. 
Um, and I think that, you know, again, to your point, yes, costs rise and that's awful. And uh, it it is, it has been a tough pill to swallow, but I think if the government can look at hospitality specifically and really try to help us with that, that rate um, and just have it like, don't have it be a, a, a one year band aid, have it be a consistent 9%. I think it would really assist um, the industry. And I think it would really assist the consumer too. Okay, so yeah. general election coming up uh, in, 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 in the not so distant future. So I guess uh, you can, you can perhaps hope for some uh, support from some of the parties anyway, leading, leading into that. Just looking at figures from the restaurant association, you referred to there, uh, 228 closures uh, since the summer in the sector. Some talk that, you know, there's, there's going to be more in the coming months. Is that what you're hearing on the ground? Absolutely. And I, it is incredibly scary. I mean, yeah. all of us are aware of the, the looming date, um, the spring when the warehouse debt will need to be repaid. Yeah. Um, and I heard a statistic recently that 50% of companies who availed of the warehousing scheme are not paying current liabilities. So yeah. obviously that is a huge concern. Um, Again, I think that there is a small uh, grant for businesses um, who have been impacted by costs, but nobody wants to take those. Really, what we need at this point is, again, we need some measures that will ensure businesses can remain solvent. Sure. People don't want to take a handout. What we need is real change. So whether that's, you know, even again, bring it back to 9%, but possibly even go to 5% for a while just to get people more active try and look at ways to get people back into the city, whether it's uh, more trains, more buses, whatever we can do to get people back in. So it's a nice experience when people are going back to work, going back to the office. Mm. Um, it is going to be a change for people, and we want to make sure that the city seems inviting and vibrant and where you want to, you know, have dinners out with your friends and go and have these great, you know, go get a latte and have sure. a fun lunch with people. Um, we want them to have experiences, and that's what people that's what people enjoy about the city center. Yeah. Um, if they if they feel like it's difficult to get in, it costs an arm and a leg for parking, and you know it's and and they're not able to do washes while they're at home anymore. Sure, no one's going to want to come back to work. Sure. So we've got to figure out ways to to make it more inviting and to make the experience seem like it is fun to be back in the city center and collab with your with okay. your office mates. Absolutely, so. yeah. Just to go back to the warehouse debt, that's mainly debt that would have been built up during COVID-19 and which was set aside under special arrangements at the time. Am I, am I right there? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. So it's that's kind of... That's absolutely correct. So that's coming due in spring. So they'll, everyone will have needed to make arrangements with the revenue yeah. um, for payback plans yeah, yeah, by, so, I think it's May, I want to say. so. Yeah, so basically yeah. The, uh, the, the, a lot of people will have hung on and hung on through, through COVID, but this might be the the thing that pushes them over the edge, I suppose. The death knell, yeah. 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 Okay, well, we wish you the best uh, and the sector the best for the new year. Katie, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, Katie Cantwell of KC Peaches. Thank you so much, Cliff. Really thank appreciate you. it. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Marion Finnegan and Katie Cantwell for joining me on the podcast. John Casey produced this episode with JJ Vernon on sound. Thanks also to our sponsor, EY, for its continued support. Remember, as a subscriber to the Irish Times, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox 
by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. You can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Cliff Taylor. Thanks for listening. The Irish Times Inside Business Podcast in association with EY, building a better working world.